This is City AM Unregulated. I'm Emma Hazlitt. And I'm Zach Meir. On this week's show, craft beer. There's a lot of mainstream beer that's decent quality. David Voxlin, founder of Crave London. It's just all the same. Craft beer connects to a broader macro channel. It's much more interesting to drink. We're joined by Fraser Doherty, co-founder of Beer 52. I guess that Brexit is going to affect lots of different things, um, but one thing about entrepreneurs is um, that whatever the weather is, whatever the economics are, uh, we still sort of get up in the morning and are passionate about our ideas. Welcome to City AM Unregulated. Hello and welcome to City AM Unregulated. This week we're talking the business of selling craft beer. We are joined in the studio by two founders, David Voxlin of Craved, which not only sells beers but a range of craft food, and Fraser Jamboy Doherty, who is also the co-founder of Beer 52 and the 48-hour startup podcast host. Welcome. So first things first, let's clear one thing up. What do we mean by craft beer? Fraser. Uh, well, I guess craft beer is beer that's made for taste rather than volume. So uh, generally, uh, most beer that's sold, you know, Heineken, Stella, is kind of huge industrially produced beer. People, when people think of beer, that's what they think of. But there's actually a whole range of flavors uh, from sour right through to really dark uh, barrel aged beers uh, that, that people can explore. And what about you? Craft beer for me, it's a, there's a whole range of different definitions you can be harsh you can be sort of soft in your definition but again coming back to the phrase that is about something that's made for for flavor that's made in small batches allowing the brewers to keep you know high control over what's brewed uh, and also that leads the way for innovation and experimentation and ultimately a, a much more high quality more interesting product for drinkers and you also do craft food so is that the same concept or is that something different now it comes back to the same basic principles, generally handmade, small batches, very, very high quality ingredients. And because the small batches, you also have a high quality product that comes out at the other end because uh, the producer always has you know, a lot of passion and also a lot of control that goes into the manufacturing process. How would you explain the rise of craft beer? Because it could be t- like one of two things. It could be that you know, we've had the tyranny of the major um, brewers upon us and every every bar you go into until the last two or three years it would just be the same foster stella heineken and just people got fed up with that or is it actually that whatever you're producing is materially better and that's why it's caught on i don't think there's i mean there's a lot of mainstream beer that's decent quality it's just all the same um and it's pretty boring so i think Craft beer connects to a broader macro trend um, with UK consumers looking for something that is locally produced, that's made by hand, that is much more interesting and exciting. And the quality aspect for me comes in in the variation and the sort of experimentation and that you can get pails and IPAs and sours and porters that are just much more interesting to drink than your standard lager, which is still the vast, vast majority. But for me, I mean, I, I go. I mean, I'm I'm never now going to drink Foster's or Heineken. I mean, those are some. There's some brands out there. I'm just I'm never going to drink again because I just hate the brands. I don't care whether they change them and make them craft. I'm just fed up with those brands. And um, isn't isn't that something? You know, a brand creating a brand is also very important as well. Absolutely, and I think that there is a, a general disillusionment with sort of the major major food industry um, in that. 
you know, it's, it's been very samey for a long time and then there's not a lot of trust with those major brands. You know what you're going to get, but you know it's going to be average. But aren't they going to, like, just uh, the big brands just knock on the door and just start taking out all the craft bands, uh, brands in order to maintain their position? Like happened with Meantime, etc. Yeah, it happened with Meantime. It happened with Camden Brewery six months ago. Uh, and I think it's going to continue to happen. But does that, I mean, Fraser, does that mean those, those brands are over? People are going to stop loving them? Um, I guess there are, there are some brands that are hundreds of years old, little Trappist breweries that make great beer. There are some brands that are six months old that make great beer. Some are big brands, some are small brands. I think as long as the beer is great, that's the most important thing. But definitely there, there has been a backlash from some consumers against brands that get taken over by, by big boys. They kind of maybe feel that they were supporting something they thought was independent and then you know, the story changed. So uh, I guess that a lot of the brands, you know, Brewdog, you know, they're very, very strongly independent and you, know, you, you can imagine them not selling out, for example. But that, I mean, isn't that kind of unfair? Because it's in taking investment like that, having a buyout like that means they can grow. I mean, when Meantime was taken over, um, was it Sab Miller promised that they would build a massive experimental brewery for them? So, are people being a bit short-termist about this? I guess that um, as long as the beer is great, as long as uh, people still enjoy it, you know, they can choose to buy it, buy it or not. Um, in our business, we, we love supporting small breweries who are just getting started and we're always kind of going out and discovering a couple of guys in a shed who've made a great beer and we try and give them a chance to get their beer out to more people. So we're kind of working at the much smaller end of the market than the, than the breweries that are, that are huge and getting taken over. But um, yeah. Is the mega brew merger between AB InBev and SAB Miller a threat to craft brewers? I think there, there are new breweries opening all the time. Uh, I think consumers are, even, even in Scotland, I, I meet up with friends and they say I've ne- they've never tried Brewdog beer, they've never tried craft beer. Uh, th- I think it's really the whole craft beer market has just scratched the surface. Um, so many mainstream consumers haven't kind of been turned on to it yet. And uh, it's like a, a kind of never-ending process of more and more people getting excited by it. And it's also going to be, um, you know, we're looking at, about 1,500 breweries in the UK last time I checked, which is the highest level in the past 80 years. There's a new brewery opening every other day. Um, whilst the pubs are dying, the breweries are opening. So the craft beer trend is just, I think it's just hit the mainstream in the past few years. And I think there's two things that are going to happen. The small scale is going to continue, whilst meantime, um, Camden, etc., as they grow, it's just going to raise the level uh, of your sort of very mainstream beers in mainstream pubs as well. So I think there's, there's plenty of room for both. So maybe it'll raise the quality of the mainstream beers rather than lowering the quality of the craft beers. Yeah, there's going to be something for both really hardcore fans of real experimental, really fun stuff. I mean, the beer market has never been as, as great as it is right now for them, but also for average consumers who used to drink Stella, Foster's or Carling. I think their general sort of pint on a Friday afternoon is going to become better as well. So what's more important, brand or recipe? I guess like it's a combination of everything. So uh, I recently went over to Colorado, which is kind of one of the real epicenters of craft beer in the world. And uh, there, the craft beer is so much more mainstream than it is here. Um, so it kind of gives us some clues as to what it might become. And there you have like breweries with people going with their kids and dogs. And it's like it's not... Uh, 
kind of masculine thing, which beer traditionally was. It's become much more about being a gourmet product. And so, you, sorry, you're going directly to the brewery. You're not. There's no chain of pubs. Which I mean, that's the other problem here, isn't it? The, the chains have a stranglehold on, on distribution, don't they? Yeah, and uh, what we're trying to do is sell craft beer over the internet with Beer 52. So I guess um, a lot of uh, breweries find it difficult to find a market for their products, and the internet makes it possible for them to sort of have a connection directly with the people who are drinking their product. And that's what we're excited about, is kind of getting, getting their beer out there to more people. So let's talk about both your stories. I mean, neither of you are brewers, but you both sell beer. So David, how did you get into this? So I moved into um, a place near Morpey Street Market in London, in Bermondsey, um, six years ago. And I remember sort of first Saturday, just moved in all my stuff, went around uh, and just bumped into Monmouth Coffee's roastery that's in the neighbourhood. Niels Jardari had their cheese maturing facilities there. The Colonel Brewery was just opening. So that turned out to be a little hub for food, craft food production in London. Um, and Morpey Street Markets just started at the same time and grew from something that was like a little fraction of uh, Barra Market that sort of broke out when rents increased. They were called the Bermondsey 7 that moved down. Um, but I find myself, you know, with the ex exploding market, really buzzing neighborhood for craft food and particularly craft beer production. Um, then Ansbach and Hobb, they opened, Brew by Numbers, um, Partisan Brewery opened. So all of a sudden, um, I was living literally on top of um, five or six craft breweries in London and it was just really exciting. So same um, sort of the distribution question was central for me starting Craved. And what, were you, what were you doing at the time? What was your job at the time? So I was a, a marketing consultant um, working in the city, um, sort of management consultancy, market researchy stuff. So I was doing uh, ad testing for Nike and Disney and uh, Barclays around the world. Um, and segmentations and intellectually interesting stuff, but ultimately pretty soul draining. Um, just looking for a business idea, living around this sort of buzzing food mecca in London, um, spending a lot of money every Saturday when they open up for a few hours and introducing lots of friends to the neighborhood and to these new craft breweries in, in particular. Um, and then realized that there should be a platform for British made craft products, both food and drink, uh, and that became Craved, um, the online platform. So well, now you're taking a big risk. I mean, you, you had the cushy number there as a management consultant, and uh, here it was a shot in the dark. Yeah, yeah, and I think entrepreneurs are really great at self-deception. And uh, it came to a point for me where, you know, you find ways of de-risking, which is another you know, very important attribute I think that entrepreneurs have. You know, you take massive risks, but you de-risk them as much as possible, those decisions. But ultimately, it's a, it's a stupid decision. I mean, 80% or so of new businesses fail within two years. We just passed that mark. And do, do you know, would you, would you, I mean, if you know how difficult it was going to be, would you do it again? Or has it, has it been harder or more difficult than you imagined? It's been much harder than I imagined it to be. So you have no idea what you're getting into. Um, as a first-time business operator, um, but I'd do it again in, yeah, in a blink, yeah, definitely. And Fraser, you were known as Jam Boy, <laughs> now right. you're Beer Man. Exactly, yeah, I grew up uh, from jam to beer. <laughs> so tell us your story. So originally I made jam with my grandmother as a little boy, and that sort of grew and grew, and we got super jam into thousands of stores and sold millions of 
jars all around the world and uh, became kind of a popular brand in South Korea of all places. So I go there and sell jam on Korean TV home shopping. And then about three years ago, I met my now business partner, James Brown, and he had been on this motorcycle road trip around Europe with his dad. And they'd stopped at craft beer bars and breweries along the way. And he kind of discovered he had this love of craft beer. And I thought, wouldn't it be, you know, we fought together, wouldn't it be great to start a club where every month we could send people a box and they could go on a similar kind of trip? So what's been the kind of biggest challenge about working with craft brewers? And what are, what are craft brewers finding challenging in themselves? I think the big challenge that we find is, uh, so people, every day, the postman comes up to our office, it's three stories high, and he carries boxes and boxes of samples. Uh, occasionally, okay. we give him a couple of bottles, uh, so he still carries them upstairs, and uh, we get samples from all around the world, and some are incredible, some are not so good. And one of the challenges we have is, is just finding the best beers. So out of those 100,000 beers that are available out there, not, not all of them are great. Um, so there is a, a challenge to find great ones, to find breweries that can produce beer consistently. And you have to test them all, you poor thing. <laughs> Someone has to do it. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, David? No, we have a similar curation process, um, but I would say that the brewers, because we work with 130 or so small producers in food and drink, and the brewers are actually really easy to work with. They're consistent. Uh, they're also used to dealing with pubs that apparently never pay their invoices on time. So they're really happy to work with a retailer that sort of treats them fairly as well. Um, so our relationship with um, with the brewers that are mainly London-based have been absolutely great so far. Um, and the quality in general in the in the London and UK brewing scene is is really really high. So we also do our Friday afternoon tastings, but. <laughs> Um, Only Friday afternoons. That's limiting. <laughs> no, in Scotland we do it every day. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so you both built this community element into your businesses. What does that, you know, does that help the business? What does that mean for each of you? For us, it's we crowdfunded um, on Crowdcube our latest um, seed round. So we have a community of about 200 investors that are supporting the business. So and all our customers also feel like they really buy into the idea of supporting local small British independent craft producers. Um, I, you know, running a, a B2C e-commerce business, I was a little bit afraid that customer service be a huge sort of time drain. But our customers so far have been extremely understanding and lovely and we were able to resolve problems with the sort of spirit of we're all in this together and we know that there's a higher purpose to the business than just exchanging hands or, or so the loyalty is still there but you think that it can be maintained um, once you know if you, you know things do grow as you expect over the next five or ten years it will just you know become because at the moment it's the David and Goliath thing isn't it there's that pioneering spirit and, and everything else but is that something that you're quite keen to maintain Absolutely. And I think we are able to do that even, you know, with Craig growing and being a larger team. We would never work with um, within craft beer or any, any other product category um, companies that become too big. So as soon as you're in a supermarket, you're, you're too big for us. So we are building a brand with Crave that is heavily, heavily curated product range of true British craft products. So that's the brand we want to communicate and build with our our customers to say that you can always come to us to find something that is local, that is small scale, and that's never going to change no matter whether we grow, our producers grow, um, and if they want to become massive and sell out to South Miller, then that's that's great, good for them, but there's so many other people that we can work yeah, with. Yeah, but if somebody turns up with it to you and says, you know, here's a hundred million pounds, you know, we, we, love, you know, we love what you do, we want to take it over, it's going to be difficult to... Uh, 
to, to, to keep your ethics uh, under control? I, I'm not particularly interested in, in sort of selling out. That's not why I'm running the business either. So as very few people get rich starting food or drink businesses in the UK. So we're looking for more investment, but that's because we want to make you know, a strict ethic principles around it being British, being craft, and make that the next big thing in UK sort of food and drink uh, and make it really trendy and exciting and, and hopefully sort of trickle down influence to change the way business is made at Tesco or Waitrose in the future. But there are, I mean, the, you know, the whole, food, whole Foods is like the US giant. I mean, there are, they're all already quite big, let's say. They're supposed to be organic and healthy and, let's say, craft in their own way. That's, that is the goal. I mean, that, that's how things progress, isn't it? I, I think that there's, there's two different ways of looking at it. So if you compare a brewery like Camden with a brewery like Colonel, to take a craft beer example, um, everyone who runs Colonel would never sell out, would never grow beyond a certain scale because they're just not interested. You know, it's possible to make a living making fantastic beer at, at a craft scale. And I think your sort of personal ambition level beyond that is, is completely up to you. If you want to become rich and sell out, that option is, is going to be there. There's plenty of people that we work with that have no interest in that. Um, and I would never, you know, we're looking to, to make, again, make this a big thing, make British craft really trendy and popular. But if that means compromising on our basic well, values. To, um, to, to jump in there, you say you want to make British craft, craft trendy and popular. There is... Fraser, a definite image problem for craft beer. It's all about the hipsters. <laughs> is, it, is it always going to be a hipster thing or do you think it's becoming an increasingly mainstream thing? No, I think craft beer is becoming very mainstream. And uh, when we look at our customers, we've had maybe 100,000 people join our club and those are, some of them uh, live in Shoreditch, but most of them <laughs> live out in uh, other parts of England and uh, they're, not, they're not hipsters. They're, they can you, you, but you both look like hipsters to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know, you're saying that. You're saying, but, you know, you would literally... You with can't the, see. You know, the way you're dressed... One very jazzy shirt and one very jazzy <laughs> jumper. It does seem to be that there's entre there are entrepreneurs out there where money or making big bucks isn't the whole thing. It's actually a lifestyle. Which is particularly prominent uh, within craft, food and drink. Because, again, it's, it's very hard. If you stick to the very high quality standards of ingredients production in a craft way, uh, it's going to be very difficult to, to make money. You need you know, to scale up and, and get into supermarkets and get that distribution to, to become rich if that's what you want to do. So most people that we work with, just they don't have that interest. And, and coming back to Craved, again, we want to raise venture capital in the next couple of years. But it, for me, it's, it's about having an impact and it's about scaling up to, again, to, to make a positive change on the UK food and drink market and, and create a trend that's uh, going to bring with it positive change. Other than that, you know, we, we're pretty happy to operate as a, as, an, as a me. There are a few British industries that have received a lot of help from government and craft beer seems to be something that the UK does really well. Do you think the UK government should be giving things like tax breaks to the sector? They do give tax breaks, yes. Yeah. So if, if you're a small business, um, you if you're a small brewer under a certain uh, level of volume, then you pay half as much duty as a, a large brewer. And that has really helped uh, to kind of create these 1,500 uh, microbreweries all over the country. Um, Is there anything else they could be doing? For us, as a, as a really small business, we're a team of three. Um, and within a lot of you know, craft beer production, um, craft food production, um, it is pretty labor-intensive stuff uh, coming back to the techniques and, and the way things are made and on our side you know we 
we hand drop every single product, we write handwritten gift notes because we want to create that really positive customer experience and communicate the same values, even as a retailer. Um, but for us, it's uh, staff cost is uh, the, the biggest budget post that we have every month that uh, is a real drain on the business. So if the government was to do more, which I think that they, they could do, uh, it would be in, in trying to, to work with uh, PAYE um, and, and taxes like that to cut us a little bit of slack until we get into a position where uh, where we can afford to, to pay as much as uh, bigger companies do. And what about Brexit? Is that going to hit small brewers in the UK? I guess that Brexit is going to affect lots of different things. Um, but one thing about entrepreneurs is um, that whatever the weather is, whatever the economics are, uh, we still sort of get up in the morning and are passionate about our ideas and continue to sort of try and make them work. So um, I guess probably uh, craft breweries are still going to keep growing. It's a very sunshiny outlook, Fraser. <laughs> what are about you, skills? David? Because you're, you're skills? Swedish. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm personally obviously very disappointed, mm. um, but I've now I've been in London for almost ten years. You know, I have a daughter here, I have a company here, so I'm personally very sort of settled down, and I got my my EU passport, so I'm pretty fine as well. I think for brewers in particular, uh, obviously there's a risk um, that American hops with the dollar exchange rate might become a little bit more expensive, um, but. I think the trend is also, you know, in the early days of craft beer, it was about getting the hoppiest hops and, you know, the most extreme, crazy flavors. Um, and the trend now for Q Brewery that we work with, as an example, they only use English hops. Um, so I think the trend is to sort of mellow down the, the hoppiness of, of the drinks um, to, to suit a slightly wider audience and not make it as extreme and geeky and hipstery as it used to be maybe five years ago. Um, and then English hops become much more relevant again. I just want to say, um, on a day-to-day, -day, I mean, are you able to find the, the type of people with skills that you require? Um, in, have you been able to do that, and do you think you'll be able to do that going forward with the Brexit vote? I think it might be tougher when we, you know, again, at the moment we're a team of three, so um, recruiting the key people is always going to be difficult, but um, but possible. Um, potentially, when we're an e-commerce company, we're 30 staff, which we're hoping to be in a couple of years' time, we're looking for someone who is fantastic at Google Analytics, whatever, uh, that might become more difficult, potentially. Wearing trendy clothes as well, I mean, that's the other thing. Yeah. Just, you know, so a recent report by Easy Property suggested that craft breweries are now the new Waitrose in that they can predict where an area's house prices are going to go up, yay or nay? Yeah, I think I would imagine that uh, people like the idea of living near a, a craft brewery, it's probably an indicator of something wider within that community that people are looking for, uh, you know, better food and drink and, you know, a nicer quality of life and um, that kind of makes sense. I think as well it's, it's, it's an indicator of something bigger. Like London is a very cold, big, can be a very harsh city. Um, and it's, it's a really interesting aspect of, you know, having a brewery as a basis of and a couple of independent shops that creates a community in a completely different way. So together with, with architecture, and unfortunately a lot of these new builds that are coming up I don't think are particularly helpful, um, but it, it's really easy to build communities around a few key things. Uh, and I think a brewery is one example of something that can just make your Saturday really a lot more fun and you go out and you meet your neighbours um, and little things like that actually matters, I think. I don't know about our listeners, but I'm definitely gagging for a drink now. <laughs> uh, just to finish off, both of you, what's your one tip to cure a hangover? <laughs> um, 
we do morning, sometimes we sell breakfast beers, um, so those, those mm. are quite helpful. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, David? Uh, for me, it is a tried and tested method of um, pint of water before I go to sleep, pint of water when I wake up in the morning, and then a big fry up. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much for coming down. Let's all go for a pint. With thanks to David Voxlin and Fraser Doherty, this has been City AM Unregulated. As ever, you can get the podcast on cityam.com, but do also go and check out Fraser's 48-hour startup podcast. It's right next to us on Audio Boom's business page, or download both of them on iTunes. City AM Unregulated is an Audio Boom production.